What's up, everybody? This is Scott Lease here with my good friend Richard Harris, and we are bringing you yet another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. And we are super excited to talk to Galen Gourmet. Hopefully, I've pronounced that somewhat correctly. She is an account executive uh, based in London with a company called Flywire, as well as the co-founder of a rapidly growing and expanding sales and marketing and revenue community called Rev Genius. And uh, we've both been getting to know her over the last couple of weeks. Richard and Galen do a millennial coffee talk show every single week. So welcome to the show, Galen. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm so excited to be in a virtual room with the two of you at the same time. I think this is the first time that happened. Well, usually one of us is more than enough. So hopefully it won't be too, too painful for you. Oh. <laughs> so, so true. Um, and just before we, we dive in, uh, obviously we want to say thanks to our sponsor, uh, Lead 411. If you don't know Lead 411 and you are looking for direct phone numbers, particularly mobile numbers these days, uh, since there's so much work from home, as well as sales intent data, meaning are they really interested? Uh, be sure to check out Lead 411. They've also got a cool uh, Chrome plugin, uh, works in with LinkedIn, and you should definitely go check them out. So. Thanks to our sponsor, Meet 411. Um, Galen, by the way, I don't know if you know this, I think you're one of the very few where we've talked to two people from your company. Um, and I believe, I don't know if you report directly into Allison, but, you know, if Allison's listening and there's anything particular you want to, you know, say to her, you know, feel free. We'll, we'll leap out anything or, you know, we'll make sure you look good. So I love Allison, and I did report to her when I first started at Flywire a year and a half ago, a little more than a year and a half ago, and I was a BDR, and all the BDRs and SDR reported into marketing. So I worked with Allison for a couple months when I still lived in Boston, and then I relocated to London, and I was technically still working under her in marketing, but obviously in a different region. So different manager uh, moving into London. And then we, and she mentioned this in your podcast too. So she did an excellent job of just explaining what Flywire does. So for anyone who is not sure, we're a FinTech payments company and Allison explained it perfectly, just like any excellent marketer would do. Um, I think she did a great job just explaining how the business works, what we do. And for those of you who don't know me, I, I work in education. So I, specialized in that vertical and I sell into uh, higher education and then into independent schools and boarding schools here in the UK and Ireland. So what, what is your, talk a little bit about in general, a little bit about your sales cycle at Flywire, if you can deal sizes, if you can, or previous places, just so people as, as we have this conversation, have a little context for, for where you're coming from. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I work both in uh, higher ed and like boarding schools, independent schools and language schools. So what that means is that I sit in between, you know, a mid-market to enterprise type of deal. So majority of, of the ones I deal with in a full sales cycle role is actually more mid-market. And that's sort of my sweet spot where I enjoy it the most because like I know Scott loves transactional sales and that's not really for me. I, I like it a little bit more complex. I want to take some time to get to know my prospects, you know, so 
I, I was thinking about this, like, what is my sweet spot? Does that change over time for some people or not? And I just realized that as much as I love money, I love building the relationships. So for me, it was sitting in between sort of mid-market and enterprise, which is exactly what I'm doing right now at Flywire. How did you, go ahead, Richard. I was just gonna say, how did you find that sweet spot? Like how many different sales roles did you have? Um, because I, I think it's really important, you know, so many people come out of college or are young or younger than Scott. Um, and, and, and they don't know necessarily what they want to be in general, but then they don't know what kind of salesperson they want to be. So how did you find that particular sweet spot for you? Yeah, I think I knew, you know, as a BDR, what I was into, but then it really got confirmed just a couple of months ago when I realized like, oh, I'm going to be doing this like full-time. This is going to be my job is to do everything from prospecting to closing. And what I learned as a BDR was that I will be pretty impatient to have to wait, you know, six months or nine months or 12 months or more to see a deal close that, that I got through a cold call. And that's when I realized like, oh, maybe if I worked full time, I was just playing this, like, what if I was a full time, a full sales cycle person? Would I enjoy this? Would I like to have to wait this long to see something come to, to, you know, fruition? And I didn't. And then when I started to become a hybrid between, there was an in, in time between being a BDR and a full size sales cycle AE, I learned that, well, Actually, I do enjoy the shorter ones. I never really was excited about the ones that took nine months or 12 months for my sales manager to close. I like it when there's a little bit of time to build up that relationship with the prospect, but I don't want to have to wait 12 months or more to see that, you know, close. That sounds like you have a slightly transactional mindset, whether you choose to believe it or not. You can fight against it a little bit if you want. I just can't throw it out there. I was actually thinking of, I was trying to think of questions earlier this morning to ask you. Um, and I thought of one that I thought would be really cool and, and different. And I haven't asked anybody this question yet on the, on the show. Um, and the question was, and the question was, what have you learned about yourself as well as about sales during the last four or five months during during the quarantine if you will because you I've, I've only gotten to know you essentially during this period of of time for maybe maybe a little before that but um i i in in interacting with you and talking with you have noticed and sensed like you really like increasing your engagement, your confidence going up, like you're doing all these things. And I'm like, here's a woman who's like growing like crazy right now from my perspective. Yeah. But I, I want, I want to hear from you. Like, what have you learned about yourself? Was that playing out for you? It's a great question. And what I've learned, you and I met each other, you know, through Twitter. And what happened in March was that, I needed to really get my shit together in one area of my life. So I, I felt like, okay, I'm, I'm doing well, like in my work, my day-to-day, -day, like working in sales, 
but not so well in personal aspects in terms of like my habits and I wasn't exercising, I wasn't eating well. I was just not creating really good habits for myself. So what I did was just kickstarting that and creating better habit, being more disciplined. And what I've learned since then is that if there's one area of your life that is working really well, you should be able to do similar, if not the same thing in another area. So like, because I was so disciplined in working out every day, I did this workout program, you know, for 60 days, which is crazy. But what ended up happening was that because I was so disciplined with making sure that this was on my priority every single day to do this workout routine for an hour, then that actually translated into me being very disciplined with my calendar at work and following up with, you know, my prospects and doing what I need to get done in my day to day as well. So that's, that's one big piece that I've learned during the last, you know, four or five months is just that by staying disciplined in one area, I've been able to then translate that into many other areas of my life which has been very helpful and, and helped me build up that confidence. Um, and then the other piece, which I know you relate to Scott is like the urgency piece, right? Like I'm, I'm 30 years old now and I have this like huge sense of urgency. Like I need to really kickstart my career. Like I started really late in sales. You know, I started when I was 29 and now I'm turning 31 this year. So I have that like huge sense of urgency. Like I just got to get this done and I got to get it done now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I certainly relate to, to that part and that, that fuel and that passion, like I think really spurs you on when things are kind of cloudy or not, not going well. It's like, Oh man, I gotta, I gotta try a different angle. Or I gotta network more or talk to this person or I gotta do this and produce that. And is, is some of that where, genius like came from some of that energy on your part yeah you know rev genius happened because there was a lot of frustration and also there was a part of me like feeling that urgency of like i have to create something right that's the only piece of me that's creative is that piece is the business piece is the only one i can sort of become creative in and figure some some things out but rev genius started with a built up frustration from both my end and on Jared's end. And what we were frustrated with was the amount of events that were happening because going back now, five months ago, right? When COVID just happened, I really just started to attend so many webinars. I would go four, four or five webinars every week and I couldn't keep track of them. I was like, I don't know where I'm going to register. I can't, I don't know. I can hardly, I can hardly keep track of the ones that, uh, that I was on, (laughs) that I, that I was a participant in. (laughs) it's so overwhelming and what what happened was people also came to me like oh I noticed you go to a lot of webinars like where do you find them and so I sort of became this like curator of events because people would ask me like how did you get into this and sort of rev genius was that okay we're going to figure out like an event list of everything that's happening in the next couple of months and put them into a uh, like a google doc and we're going to share that with people that we know who are having similar frustrations we did that and from there on we just it just like expanded from there we're like okay well we can also do this we can build a community here we can create forums about this and so that's what happened. And over the last like six or seven weeks, here we are, we have, you know, 2,500 members. Yeah, that's cool. And, it, and it's grown to be 
so much more than what the original idea was for it. What What is your current vision on what it will become and how big do you see it, you know, getting? I mean, I think that it might pass 3,000 members by the end of, end of July. Like, are you, do you, have you started setting goals? Like, okay, we're going to have 10,000 members by the end of the year. What do we want this thing to be? Are you, are you thinking that far ahead or are you kind of just like, all right, this is fun and interesting. I'm taking it kind of one day at a time. No, I think the first week we were like, oh, let's see where this goes. You know, how, how big we can expand this into. It was, it started with like 50 people actually on LinkedIn having a group, but then our apps kept, you know, shutting down because we had too many people chatting at the same time. And, and they were asking us like, please, can we move to another platform? So we did move to Slack and we have goals, um, very specific growth metrics that we want to hit because, you know, as salespeople, that's just a part of, of, of our nature. And we have it for the overall community, but also more recently this week, I'm focusing on making sure we do the same thing in Europe because I live in Europe, you know, Jared lives in New York. Majority of our members right now are from the U.S. We're trying to find more leaders in Europe that can become a part of our So it, it just it just seems from some people's perspective like, wow, that's too much. There's no way you can handle both things. But from my perspective, and, and I'm curious to hear your perspective, I'm like, well, how do you not have time to do all this other stuff? So talk to, talk to us a little bit about the balance between having a full-time job, being an AE, excelling in that role, and putting in the time to create this community to help so many people. How do you juggle? How do you spend your day? What's like the schedule and the split of, of how you spend your time? Yeah. Um, so a lot of people know this, that I barely sleep, which I'm not condoning for anyone to stop sleeping. That's not the point, but I had to give up certain things in my life um, in order to be able to do this right now. And again, like going back to the whole urgency piece of it, you know, looking at it from my personal life, what's happening in my own life right now, outside of work, outside of Rev Genius, I'm in a long distance relationship. My fiance lives in Boston. I live in London. So there are no more date nights. Also, it's COVID. But even then, you know, there's no, I don't want to say distraction, but there's, he's not here. So I don't have to spend that time with him, right? I don't have any kids. So I don't have to make time for, for family like that. Um, so that has allowed me to spend a lot of more time on things that I'm passionate about. So, right? so let me, let me push back on you for a second. So you said that you had to have, you've had to give a few things up. What are some of the things, if you're comfortable sharing that you've had to give up? Because I'm imagining the audience right now thinking, well, you know, why don't, what, what did she give up or what would I give up in order to do this? Can you share some of those things? Absolutely. So I've had to give up the time I spent watching Netflix because everyone who knows me is like, if I watch a show, I will watch that show. Yeah, you're going all in and binging all the way, right? Yes, I'm, I'm a binger. At the worst editing one ever. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I sleep maybe on average like five hours every night, which isn't great. Like I'm really trying not to do that. But then when you're living the lifestyle I'm living right now, where you're in two different time zones, or sometimes three different time zones. Um, and this is something I, I can imagine, you know, other sales marketing 
RevOps leaders that are global are dealing with all the time. So it's kind of a good practice for me to just understand like the global collaboration aspect of it. Um, but I, I am working on getting more sleep. So I have, a, I have a question for Gail. So, cause I think we're all guilty of this. And, and if you're willing to share, how much Netflix did you give up? How oh. much TV, right? Cause we, we all have our guilty pleasure. He's calling you out. He wants you to quantify it. Oh my God, Richard, why are you doing this to me? I probably would say, I mean, 20 hours a week. Okay. So, so between like the weekday and the weekend. Sure. Sure. But that, but that's really important to know though. That's like two and a half wait days of waking hours. Yeah. Like it's really important. And I, that, you know, I'm not doing it to call you out. It's kind of like everybody who's listening is like, Holy, you know, we're all wasting this time, you know? And there's, I think to your point, there's a balance of, Hey, I need to catch up on a show as opposed to binge watching six episodes. Right. Um, so I think it's, it, you know, and we need to talk about it because I think people need to do less of it. Right. And it doesn't mean you have to do, it doesn't mean you have to do more work, right? It doesn't mean, you know, it, it's what do you do to be more present in whatever it is that you enjoy? Right. So anyway, I, I just, I, I was curious, thank you for sharing it. I bet I hit that much as well. Um, you know, you know, for all those people listening or for Scott or you, if you have an iPhone and it tells you how much screen time you watch every day, uh, you know, once a week I get that notification. Um, I refuse to turn that notification off because I need to be made to feel guilty once a week to remind me to, to stop. You know, personal branding has become such a big thing that it's, it's oversaturated at this point. Everyone's doing it. Like everyone wants to do their personal branding. It's just a lot of noise, but um, I think a lot of people are spending so much time on social media, especially now that everyone's at home, you know, 24 seven or close to it. And one thing that helped me a couple of years ago that I had to do early on in college was to kind of, audit my time, like what I'm spending my time on, I had to Google like, how many hours are there in a week? And then from there on like work backwards and say like, how much time am I spending on these different activities every week? And, and then I realized, oh, I could actually have a part-time job. So then I, I looked for a part-time job and, and I got that in college. And I did that throughout my whole college career. One, because I realized I can do something else with my time, but then two, like I kind of needed to have some sort of income um, to supplement with, you know, the loans that I got. So I think that's a really good thing for people to do if they're not sure, like, oh, I'm not really getting the things done that I'm supposed to, you know, what my priorities are, like spend some time with yourself to really be honest and see what are you spending your time on right now? So I've got, I've got, I want to go backwards a little bit, and if, if you already answered it, because I was talking about technical issues, um, so be it. Before you turned, you know, you said at 29, you started your sales career, and you feel like you started it late. Um, yeah. I think Scott and I can both say that, you know, you're starting it, you know, just fine. Like, there's no issue with that. And I think a lot of, you know, some of that might just be sort of that anxiety of turning 29 to 30. Like, I think we all went through that. Um, mm. But what did you want to be before you were in sales? What did you do from 25 to 28? You know, what did you do 23 to 29? Yeah, I was working in HR as an HR admin while going through college. 
And then I was working as a college recruiter. So I worked for a medical device company um, and I was recruiting college students to have internships with them. So that's what I was doing um, prior to getting into sales. And right before I got into sales. You can make make the case that some of that recruiting that you were doing was sales though, right? I mean, you can, you can draw that line. No, I guess good. Um, but I was in this interesting place of like, do I, what exactly do I want to do? You have to ask yourself that question so you can really focus on, on what you're going to spend your time doing and where you're going to build your career. And I was in a place of like, do I, what is it that I like about working in HR right now? And literally the only piece I, I really loved was the piece of onboarding and training. And when I figured that out, I was like, oh, there's really nothing. Because all the paperwork I don't enjoy doing, um, there was a lot of that. And exit interviews, it's like, eh, not that interesting. And so the only piece I really enjoyed and that I would make time for every single Monday at 10 a.m., I wouldn't even schedule my classes in college during that time, regardless if that, like my favorite professor had a class, I would say no, because I need to be at the office and do onboarding. That's the piece I like. So I realized like there's actually an overlap here. Like if I go into sales, I could go into training. I could do enablement and, and maybe that's what I will do in 10 years. Who knows? But that just, that just made me realize like I shouldn't be in HR. Um, I, sh- I should go into sales and try it out. Okay. Richard, yeah. your microphone is, is cut out. Richard is having today, everybody. Everybody send him a note and, and tell him it's going to be okay. Um, I'm not sure where he was going to go with this next question, so I'm just going to take over. One of the things that I um, love and admire about you is your unique and, and roundabout way, if you will, of how you've gotten into sales. But so much of that comes from your upbringing and all the different places that you lived. Mm-hmm. Can, you, can you walk the audience and, and us through some of that, that journey. I mean, talk about all these different, I mean, I feel like you've got a global perspective on, on sales and business and, you know, all of these things that are kind of colliding yeah. and exploding, at least, you know, here in America right now. Um, yeah. Talk to us a little bit about, about that if you can. So, um, talking about like where I came from, how I got here, the journey in between, yeah, I mean, you you know you spent time and and grew up in in Sweden. I don't know if people if people know that you went to school and lived and worked on the on the East Coast, and now you're in in London. Like, what what is what have you learned from all of that? What are the advantages to going through that? How is it helping you as you move forward? And and you you have a unique worldview on things like race and and social justice and and having lived in these three different countries that view these things very differently. And now you're selling into some of them and building a community, not just from those countries, but from all over the world. Like it seems to me that you are perfectly positioned to lead in this capacity because of how you've grown up. Yeah. I think the first thing that comes to mind that I learned from all these experiences and, and that I keep in mind all the time is to be mindful, like we're all coming from different places. We all have different paths that we've crossed in our lives um, and different feelings about that, different cultures and just being mindful of that. So like 
even the smallest things of like, when do you set up meetings with other people to like, how, what language do you use when you communicate with other people? What assumptions are you making? Like I was, to give a real example, I think it was last week and on the week before, I was trying to become part of this group on LinkedIn. And apparently they were really exclusive, but in the subject line, it was like, this is for Swedish professionals, right? And so that's all it said, like for those who speak Swedish. So I'm like, okay, I'm trying to find some more Swedish people that I can connect with. So I'm going to request to join. And I, that invite got declined. And I was like, why is this getting declined? Like what is going on here? And then I reach out to the person who, you know, organized this and they're like, oh, it's only for people who live in the country. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you should have clarified that because now you really did not make me feel good about the fact that I was not invited into this group, right? And I don't know what you're making and, I, and I'm not making assumptions that, oh, just because you might have seen my profile and noticed that I'm not white and that I don't have a Swedish name, you might have made the assumption that I'm not from Sweden or don't understand the language. I don't know. But um, just the fact that that happened, and I know it happens to other people when you go just make quick assumptions, um, I can understand what that feels like. I've obviously been through it many times. Uh, even the small little microaggressions that happens very frequently, um, it's it's frustrating and, and I've just been able to be more mindful about that when I speak to other people uh, in different groups and in different settings. Yeah, the, the snap judgment part is really tough. You know, um, how are you pushing back against that? What are some of the things that you're actively doing to change the conversation and take it in a more positive direction and make things a little bit easier for not just yourself, but for everybody else who's experiencing some of the same things. Yeah. Um, I've always been like a big advocate for myself and other people um, at all times, whether it was, you know, here when I live in London and in different circumstances with people or even growing up in Sweden, I, one of the fun thing that happened in high school was I got into like a real argument with my whole class and it got to a point where I couldn't even sit in the classroom with them anymore. I actually had my own little conference room that I would sit you, in. You versus everybody? Yeah, basically. Wow. Uh, it was crazy. But then I had to go on a poll. I, I had this blog and I was basically talking shit about other people in my blog without naming them, but everybody knew, you know, who we're talking about. So the principal of this school had to like take me into a room, have a meeting. And then my foster mom, so I grew up in foster mom, FYI, in foster care for those who don't know, but she had to come to school and like have this meeting and sit down with me and the principal and my teachers. And I, for like two, three weeks, I just said, I'm not going to deal with all of you because you all know that this is BS and I'm not having it. So I'm just going to do my own thing in this little room and like, if I need to know something, let me know and I'll come into the main classroom. But like that, that was crazy, but that just goes to show like the way that that situation was treated and the way that um, people weren't understanding like what the issue was. It was a huge miscommunication. And, and on my part, you know, the fault was like, I was blaming people without mentioning them, which was a shitty thing to do. Um, but yeah. That happened. <laughs> Scott is like, Lash. yeah, you're back. 
Welcome back. So just out of curiosity, what, what did you learn from that moving forward? Right? Like it's, you obviously need to advocate for yourself. We all do. Um, obviously it's, it's very different for, for Scott and I as Caucasian males. We know it, we get it. But what did you learn from that experience to help move you forward and also move the larger narrative forward? Yeah. Um, I don't know so much from that, but from other experiences of just advocating for myself, whether that's, you know, at work um, or if it's in smaller groups or with my friends or whatever it is, what happened to me by doing that is having the ability to have these really uncomfortable conversations because it's not easy having to confront someone or bring something up that didn't really sit well with you or maybe with them. Um, and what it's allowed me to do is just build a, a comfort level of having difficult conversations and addressing things head on and not let them, you know, linger forever. Um, and then also it helps me really build my confidence, you know, by, addressing things head on and just dealing with them as they come up. And that, when other people see me do that, that's how it helps, you know, my surroundings because they see me doing that and they're like, oh, I could actually do the same thing. And they will do the same thing or they will ask me like, how did you go about this? You know, how was it having that conversation? And I will tell them and then they will feel a little bit more empowered to do something and most likely take the action that they need to take. How, how are you taking some of this stuff in stride? I mean, you, you did a really good job, I think, and reaching out and like networking with folks who have experience. And I think you've built like a good kind of, um, Morgan calls it like the personal board of advisors type, type thing. Can't remember his exact phrase, but you know, you've got a lot of the, a lot of people, you know, who care about you and who are around you now, but, but now people are kind of coming to you and asking you for advice. And I can remember that shift when it first happened with me and it was like really off-putting, like, whoa, what do you mean? I don't know what I'm talking about, right? How, How are you handling that shift? Um, going from somebody who's used to asking for advice to suddenly people asking you of advice. Yeah, it's weird. It's really weird. I just had a conversation with two women from Rev Genius who are just wondering more about like video prospecting. And I'm like, oh, you want my insight? Maybe you should go ask Morgan. He's like the pro here. He's on thousands of them. Like, I don't know why you're asking me, but fine. I can help you to a certain degree or whatever. And what helped me get through that conversation was just to break things down and just be like, okay, if you're, if we're going to spend 30 minutes right now, what will make you walk away from this conversation and feel like you got something out of it? What part of like, just clarifying, like, why do you want to meet? What about video prospecting? Do you think I can help you with where are you stuck? And then what it really was, was not doing the videos. It was more so how do you get started when you've never done a video before? What are the feelings that you're going to go through? What are the challenges going to be with that? Why, you know, how uncomfortable is it? How do you get past that? It was those questions that they were really looking for. And then a little bit of like tactical stuff, right? Like, 
What program do you use? What's the framework or formula that you use to do this? Could you show me an example? Like all of that, I could send over in a heartbeat. That's not what the conversation is about. The conversation is like, what is stopping you? What has stopped you from doing this before? And how can I help you help yourself get over it? Yeah, that's, that's really, it's really good advice. And, and something that everybody struggles with is the getting started piece. Regardless mm-hmm. of video prospecting. Yeah. Video, email, phone call, whatever. Branding. Yeah. Getting started. How do I start this? Like I haven't posted on LinkedIn. I don't know like what voice to use, what content to put out. People just don't know how to start, how to take that first step to take action. They don't know. So, so tell people, so give give the audience here who's listening, you know, how do you get started? You, you just mentioned, you know, LinkedIn. How do you get started building content, creating content, growing your network, these, these kind of things? Because you're, you know, you're relatively early in the journey of all this stuff. What has what worked for you? So what I did was this. First, I sat down with myself and asked myself, what has stopped me from putting out, you know, a lot of content uh, constantly? Like, what is stopping me right now from doing this as it is? And once I addressed that and really the barrier for me was like, oh, I'm worried that people are going to judge me or that people aren't going to accept me or that what I have to share isn't going to be enough. Like all of those doubts about myself was what really at the core stopped me. So like get to the root cause of like, what's the real deal? Why are you not putting out any content? Because it's a free platform. You have your phone with you 24 seven you have a lot of experiences. So clearly like there's something within you that's stopping you from taking action on this. So figure that piece out because as you know, Scott, the more you do this, the more shit you're going to get. And if you don't, if you're not like 100% with yourself at the core, then you're not going to be able to take that shit because it's going to happen and you just have to prepare for for that to go down. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you may not realize it, but you need to end up having very thick skin. Yeah you know, and, and not get super tied up into the responses that everybody gives. And, you know, I think people are just starting to talk about this to me for the first time, but like it becomes a full-time job, mm-hmm. you know, trying to keep up with all this stuff. We were having a funny conversation the other day, you and I and Josh Roth about, you know, how do you manage the inbox? And I was like, what's the hack? And, and you know, I'm like, there isn't one. You just have to put in all this time and energy and effort. And some of the, sometimes I go dark on purpose and I don't, I don't post because I'm like, I have things to do. Like I can't, I can't spend the time right now responding to hundreds of engagements or inquiries or connection requests or whatever. Um, so how, how are you, how are you balancing that? Where did you land on this? You know, trying to find the hack versus me saying there is no hack. You just have to put in the energy, which I know you hated that answer. What, yeah. what, what are you doing right now to manage this exploding inbox, if you will? Well, it's definitely, I mean, it's not exploding. And I call myself out on Twitter. Like I'm not allowed to complain about this, so I'm not going to. I'm, I'm going to turn this around and say that I found some ways for me to deal with it. So like on weekends, I spend a little bit of time and I've stopped like always typing. I just use the voice memo a lot because I just can't be bothered to make sure I spelled something right, et cetera. That's, so a, just, good, that's a good hack. Does that, does that, 
help you go faster? Yes. Yes, okay. So I, so I guess it's a hack, but I don't know. I would call that a hack. I mean, I, I, could, I could stand to take your advice and, and, and do that. And I will try it and see if it saves me time. So I, I appreciate that one. What else? What else? Um, being more thoughtful about like talking about LinkedIn and posts and all that stuff, because what happens too, I think here's the responsibility you have to take when you start engaging on LinkedIn, for example, is that it can't just be a one way conversation. It can't just be you posting shit and then never responding when you get some engagement. Right. I think in the beginning, when you start this journey, like you do have the ability to actually respond to your comments. When you get to a level which you get hundreds of comments on your posts, then that's going to become a full-time job, just like you said, Scott. But I think somebody like me who's just started a couple months ago who gets like, you know, a couple comments here and there, sometimes more than others, depending on the post, like I will invest the time to respond back to all of those individuals within like 24 hours because that's them saying, Hey, I care about what you just shared. And it goes back to like that early stage of how I felt. The reason why I didn't want to start posting was because I was insecure about are people going to relate to this? Are people going to vibe with what I'm sharing? And so clearly people are vibing with it. So it has to be a two way street of how that communication goes. So when people interact, I have to interact back with them. And I think you can do, do you that. manage that though. Like that's coming back to, you know, getting those notifications and you're, and you're getting to an inbox zero, or have you decided that you're never going to focus on inbox zero, you're just going to focus on managing the inbox. Uh, so I, I have this thing. I suck at every inbox that I have. So it's not just a LinkedIn problem. It's a Gmail problem. Like it's the Galen problem. And I need to figure out um, how to manage my inboxes. And so with LinkedIn, like I focus on commenting back on everyone who shares, you know, and I tell people like, if you want to continue to have a conversation with me, like find me on Rev Genius because Slack I will respond to, but LinkedIn messages that can take a week or two. And I'm just upfront about it. Like, I'm sorry, I'm just not as active of dealing. My LinkedIn inbox is a hot mess. I can't deal with it. Find me on Slack or text me. If it's somebody who I'm like vibing with and I'm like, here's my number, text me on WhatsApp. Yep. Yep. What about, what about in your regular email? What hacks are you figuring out? Oh, Richard, I, I don't know what to do with myself. It's a mess, both my work and my personal, like it's not healthy. Um, one in body two. two separate. You do. Okay. How many unread messages do you have in your, on your phone? Just show me the number. Tell me the number on your phone. <laughs> okay. So I can tell you one, which is, uh, 1,628. And does that little icon show up on your phone showing you that number? Yes, and it's giving me anxiety every single day. Looking it gives me that. anxiety right <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> oh Every, everybody has like a, you know, a methodology or a channel that works for them, though. I mean, Galen, you're talking about how you're really good on Slack. Like, I can't stand Slack. It, oh. it, it drives me absolutely bonkers. My, there's almost nothing in life that gives me more satisfaction than leaving a particular Slack chain. <laughs> Truly, it's, it's like one of the greatest gifts I can give to myself. But for but for you, like you love Slack, whereas I have no problem with my my work 
email, I have eight unread messages and probably most of them came in, if not all of them during the last hour. Right. So I, I can manage that slack. Oh, stresses me out. Right. Yeah. That doesn't, that doesn't mean somebody has a better grip on managing their time versus the other. It just means we all have a particular communication style and method. Right. Yeah. And so when we're selling, one of the best things you can do is quickly figure out which channel works for which particular individual, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I think people don't pay enough attention to. I think they focus on what channel do I like? And they try to sell via that channel that I like, that I'm used to, not the channel that works for the particular prospect. I've got, so my other thought is, I think people freak out because they're afraid something's gonna slip through the cracks and they don't trust whatever process, as God is mentioning, to prevent that. And so they're constantly second guessing their own process. And that for me is where the anxiety lies because it's what if I don't get back to somebody? So, um, I, so I adopted a long time ago, this, this app who's not a sponsor, but it's called SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X. And it literally will learn that these are the important messages and everything else goes into this one other folder. And then if you drag and drop from one folder to the next, it remembers it forever. And so for me, like literally, I probably, I can go check. I've got 25 things in my sane later folder and it does, it creates no anxiety for me because I've trained it well enough that only the important stuff gets to my inbox. So I can still get to my inbox zero and then I can quickly glance at that stuff and get rid of it for me. Cause I'm an email guy. I'm a little bit like Scott where I don't need one more platform. I don't need Slack and LinkedIn and my text messages and my email and anything else. Right? Like I it just, you know, I'm old that way. I'm old school. So, um, we have to, we have to adapt though, Richard, or we're going to quickly go the way of the dinosaur. I hope, I hope you, hope you recognize that. I'm I trying, do. I'm trying my best. I'm on like four different company Slack channels right now. Um, you know, I'm trying my best to stay on top of it. Though, to like navigate that, right? It, it becomes more challenging when you're part of four different companies and they use four different ways to communicate. Yeah, and yeah. it's like, oh, now I have to be in four different worlds. Like that is exhausting. Um, something that I did last week, which has made me less stressed and anxious is to finally create my own calendar link. Mm. I know this sounds like crazy, but it has saved me so much like time and effort having to go back and forth with people, like figuring out like, especially with the time difference with majority of the people I connect with are like in the U S or Canada or somewhere else. And usually not in my time zone. So it's like, oh, now we have to figure out what time we're going to meet, what works with your calendar, what works with mine between work and other stuff. So I just created this calendar link and I was like, here you go. If you want to find a time for me, like here's, here's the link, like find it. And I just blocked off my time after 10 PM, my time, that's like my own time to just calm down and sort of start to end my day a little bit. Um, but I've started to send this even to my friends and I sent it to my sister yesterday who lives in Sweden. And I was like, she, she's been trying to get in touch with me since Sunday. Yeah. And I, was just, I was just thinking, has anybody gotten upset or frustrated with you yet? Because you're not available until X day and time. Yes. Um, my friends, but my friends are great. They're not really saying it, but I can sense it. They're like, what is going on? Like, why are you so busy? And then my sister, because she likes to talk every other day. And 
we made an agreement a couple of weeks ago, like, listen, I can't spend that time with you every other day talking for an hour. That's just not going to happen, but we can spend 15, 20 minutes at a time and we can do it, you know, a couple of times a week. So what I did yesterday was like, I'm sorry, I haven't been able to find any time in my day because I'm in back to back meetings as soon as I'm not working. So here's my link. Find us a time to connect. <laughs> She's like, all right, this is weird, but I guess I'll have to. <laughs> It's it's a it's next it's next level when you start sending Calendly links to your family members. But yeah. <laughs> I also send them videos, so I like prospect to my own family. I was I was gonna say, you know, on the other hand, it also allows me to keep pushing my family further away. So <laughs> it serves a dual purpose, which in some cases is a good thing for some people. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. Uh, Galem, this has been a super fun uh, conversation. We, we've got to start to wrap up. As, as we do, we always ask, how can we help you? What, what can we do to support you? Yeah, um, you're doing everything to support me. You both have been amazing parts of my life for the past couple of months. Um, I've learned so much from both of you and, you know, co-hosting the Lena Next Coffee Talk with you, Richard, has been amazing. You have so many great conversations and just the fact that you both have opened up, you know, your hearts and your lives to me. And you're so kind of, of teaching me so many things every single week um, and just making yourself available. So that that's the only only thing that I could ask that you've already done. So there's really nothing else from my end that I would say that you could do at this point for me. I think our job here is done, Richard. We we don't have to spend any more time. Just continue it though. Oh. Just continue it though. That's that's a little caveat there. It's that I just know that all the time Scott spins with Galen, he's not spinning with me, so it hurts me. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe uh, we should do this more often, like just catching up. Because, like I said in the beginning, I think this is the first time I'm actually on a call with both of you at the same time. Uh, I have separate conversations with you, but we never do something like this together. So yeah. I think it would be awesome to Scott on the next coffee talk, you know? Yeah. Well, how come, where's my invite to that, Richard? You're, are you, who's in charge of the booking for that? Dude, I, I, the, the link is available. Go find the link. <laughs> you're making, you're not supposed to make the prospect do all the work, Richard. You should know this by now, right? <laughs> But your family members. I'm treating you like Galen treats your family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm new new brother. Scott, go find the link. Here's my calendar link calendar link. <laughs> uh awesome. Hey Galen, thanks so much. And and again, another shout out to our, our sponsor, Lead 411, uh, who's got this really cool plugin that works with LinkedIn to help you find uh real phone numbers, direct dials and intent data, which in sales right now, um, intent uh, means a lot. So go check out Lead 411 and join us again for another episode coming soon. Thanks, Caleb. Thanks for having me. Bye.